Today the lesson title is called Obsolete Verse Cutting Edge. Which would you rather have? When I was uh, uh, in the sixth grade, I had some wonderful teachers who picked me and a few other guys to teach us how to learn basic programming on an Apple II, I believe, computer that we had in our library. And I think we had two of them, and it was like a top-notch program. You know, we felt like we were something learning to do that basic programming on Apple II uh, C computers or Apple II Pluses, something like that. And then um, when I left the sixth grade and was going into the seventh grade, I was like, I have to have my own computer. So I used uh, uh, my money that I had, uh, had saved up, and I went out and bought a Commodore 64 computer with this great, big, massive, heavy hard drive. Uh, I didn't want the cassette loader. I wanted the hard drive. I had to have the cutting edge. I wanted to have the very best, right? Anybody have a, a Commodore 64 by any chance? Jerry had one. Um, so it, it was, you know, here we were in the, in the beginning of the computer age, personal computers. You could have a computer at home, even a sixth grade kid in 19, I don't even know when I was in the, I didn't figure that out. I graduated in um, in 89, so you figure out six years before that. But uh, it was cutting edge. This was good stuff. The computer age had arrived. So I had that computer. And it was a neat thing. But I also remember then several years later when you could take that computer and you could go online. And I had a different computer when I was able to go online. I ended up with the greatest and latest then at that point, too. Wasted a lot of money I should have been using other things for, but I bought a computer and ended up being able to go online with AOL. Now, if I asked, I asked who had a Commodore 64, there were hardly any hands up, but who's had AOL before? AOL, you got the disc in the, in the, uh, in the mail and you put the disc in and, and uh, they, it boots up and pretty soon you hear that you get your phone so hopefully nobody will interrupt it and you start out with uh, with that doing the dialing noises and then the ping 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 and then eventually a couple minutes later you get the you got mail <laughs> that was the latest greatest that was the cutting edge now how many of you want to go back to AOL with ping, 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 and all that stuff. Who wants to go back to that? I remember trying to, to download an image. I was teaching school at South Doyle High School, and I'd get online and find this great stuff, be able to teach. I remember an image loading that I wanted to print off, and it just would go, one, it was like a pixel at a time, you know? We don't want to go back to that, do we? What once was the latest, greatest, it was the cutting edge, it has been outdone, and we don't want to go back to that, do we? We want to stick with the cutting edge. Well, the book of Hebrews is written to a people who now have received the cutting edge technology, the latest, greatest, so to speak, and they wanted to go back to ping, ping, ping. They wanted to go back. And that is just a terrible thought to leave the best and go back to what 
is obsolete. So I'm going to encourage you today to think as we go through this lesson and talk about Jesus, is are you going to grab hold of what is the greatest, what is the cutting edge and will never be outdone, or is there something drawing you to bring you back to what is obsolete and has faded away? So let's go to Hebrews. And Hebrews in this book, as he writes to um, believers, the, this book is written to believers. We've established that and talked about that a few time, times. Probably have these were people of Jewish lineage or background. And Hebrews is a letter that is written to them and is presenting Jesus as the guarantee of a better covenant. Better than the law which came through Moses. So go to Hebrews chapter 7 verse 22. We're going to start there and just mention this verse. And there's a long, uh, long bit of information preceding this. But just notice it says so, so much more. Also, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. He is better and he is presenting to them this challenge. What do you want? Are you going to choose what is better? Or are you going to go back to what is old and worn out? And the question comes, well, how is Jesus better? So there is a, a reference to a better covenant. We're going to call it the new covenant, as it does in the scripture here. How is this new covenant better in Jesus? Verse 23 then, we're going to read this. It says, and there are two basic things that I believe are presented in here is that number one, Jesus is the, the perfect high priest, so he is by far better. He is the perfect high priest. And number two, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Who was, he was sacrificed once for all. Verse 23 through 27, the former priest on one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is also able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So that's, that's very much talking about him. You know, this word forever is over, over and over in there. Save forever, permanence. Verse 26, for it was fitting for us to have such a high priest. So he's like kind of a forever high priest. It hasn't mentioned perfect, but now it's about to. For he, it was fitting for us to have such a high priest. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all, when he offered up himself. So he is the high priest, he's also the sacrifice perfect in both regards. Verse 28 then says, For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath, <coughs> which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. 
the perfect son. Verse 27 talks about him he did once for all. He was the sacrifice once for all. And when I read that, in my mind, I think once for all time, once for all people, it fits. He was sacrificed for everybody. Even those people, uh, Hebrews establishes later on, even those people who died under the law, they were only saved because the blood of goats and rams cannot bring about forgiveness of sins. It's Jesus who is able to provide that forgiveness of sins. He was once for all, forever. He was the, the sacrifice that is able to make Adam able to, uh, to be cleansed from his sins and to go to heaven. Forgiveness comes through Jesus. Abraham, uh, Isaac, Jacob, all, the, all of those folks that we look to in the Old Testament who were saved, who are in the presence of God, that only happened because of the one sacrifice that was perfect, the sacrifice that was once for all, for all time, for all people. So this is what Jesus is. He is the better, he, he is the one who provides a better covenant because he is the perfect high priest. He is the perfect sacrifice. It's a beautiful thing, and we wouldn't understand that had it not been for that old covenant. That old covenant served this purpose, and it brought us Jesus, and it brought us to Jesus, and it brought us to a knowledge of him. But Jesus is the greater thing, obviously, based upon what we've read here. But it seems like, as you read through Hebrews, as it goes through this same basic information over and over and over, telling the people, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He is better. He's better. He's better. Apparently, some folks didn't realize that he was better. Some folks were reneging on their their promise, their confession that they had professed, claiming to believe in Jesus and to, to trust him as the sacrifice they needed to save him, and they were going back to the old dial-up internet. They were going back to priests who were imperfect, who were going to die, and they had to go in and offer sacrifices daily. They were going back to trust that when they had the latest greatest. That's a sad, sad thing, isn't it? And this book, we see the grace of God here because in when we get to verse number 13 of Hebrews chapter 8, it's just an entry. Look at, look at Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. And you're going to see here the grace of God, but you're also going to see God saying, but my, my mercy, my grace, it's going to come to an end if you don't do what is right. Verse 13 says, when he said, and that's a reference to up above, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. So here is the crux of what I want us to consider today in our lesson. 
The new versus the old, the obsolete. He has made the first obsolete. The idea of the first is a reference back to the old covenant that came through Moses, the covenant that was given at the mountain. The covenant where God laid down the Ten Commandments and and ordered their lives and showed them how they could be holy if they could just do and practice all of these laws and how they eat, how they worship, how they sacrifice, and uh, how they treated one another. It was all wrapped up in that law, that new, that first covenant, I should say. It was new to them back at that time. But that first covenant came through Moses. And it says here, he has made the first obsolete. That word obsolete, it's If you look it up and start studying about that word, it just simply means old and worn out. Old and worn out. It's the idea of old, and it it has to do with just, it's almost like a garment. This word is used in reference to garments growing worn out. When a garment became old, it doesn't last forever, it gets worn out. So the first covenant, that law of Moses... It kind of served its purpose. Now it's done. He has made the first obsolete. The writer of Hebrews is saying at that time that he wrote the old law, it's done. There is a better way, there is a new covenant. Then the next verse, or excuse me, the latter part of verse 13 says, But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old, so that whatever is becoming worn out and getting old is ready to disappear. Now we have to kind of ask ourselves as we, if we're considering this verse and we're trying to figure out you know, how it applies to us. We've got to figure out how it applies to them first. So at the time that the, the book of Hebrews was written, it was claiming that whatever is becoming, it is becoming. It hasn't become, there's a sense in the first part, it is obsolete. Well, and then he says, but it's becoming obsolete, and it's growing old, and it's ready to disappear. So it's like, it is obsolete, but really you're kind of at the tail end of it becoming old and obsolete. It is about to come to a finished, a finish for all time. It's about done away with. So is that law still good? Is it in effect today? Or is it still becoming obsolete? Is there still some sense that it's still good? Well, I just contend, ask you to consider that when this book was written, it was written before the destruction of the temple. And this, and part of the reason is because of this verse, that we can say that with a surety, that this was written before the temple was destroyed. Because when the temple was destroyed, God allowed that to happen. He was saying to them, all right, it's done. Remember, Jesus he, uh, he foretold the destruction of the temple. There will be a day when no stone will be left upon another. He predicted the destruction of Jerusalem. And that was because something new had come. God wasn't, in this book, is all about the fact that, hey, sacrifices, priests working all them things in the temple, it's 
It's not worth anything anymore. You have a high priest. If you go to those high priests, you're, you're saying, Jesus, we don't care about you as our high priest. If you start making sacrifices for sins, you're telling Jesus you're not a good enough sacrifice for sin. Very contrary to what sh- these people should have been holding on to. The covenant that they had in Christ, they were, should have held fast to that. But they were going back to what was obsolete and becoming obsolete And for anybody who read this after the time that the temple was destroyed, I think they would have said, oh, God warned us. It was becoming obsolete. And God has made clear that he is done with worship at a man-made temple by priests who were just everyday weak humans. And now he has a new way for us in Christ. Jesus Christ became the cutting edge. In A.D. 33, when he was resurrected from the the dead, he became the latest greatest. And they needed to hold fast to that and not give up. And this new covenant is a wonderful one. Look up in in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. And let me reference back to uh, verse 8 just real quick. Verse 8 says, for finding fault with them, those people who were acting under the old covenant, perhaps even a reference to the priest. um, He says, behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So we have this quotation from that begins, this long quotation from Jeremiah. And it's talking about someday I'm going to put into effect a new covenant. A new covenant. You know, not I'm going to fix the old one. I'm going to make a new covenant. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not touch, teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he said a new covenant... He's made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. So these folks, you know, A.D. 70 came, the destruction of the temple. That was almost uh, 40 years after Christ died. So that there is a picture of God's grace. He gave these people lots of time to learn about Jesus, to know him, And to grab hold of him and hold fast to him. Yeah, that's pretty gracious. 40 years to figure out that Jesus was the Messiah. 
I've got now a better covenant. Jesus was the one who fulfilled all these things in Jeremiah. We've been reading through Isaiah. You know, we read about the suffering servant who was going to bring in this new and wonderful kingdom. You know, they had all this time to figure out that what the old covenant was, was there to forecast, to foretell, to, to bring us to Jesus. All of the words working together to bring us to Christ Jesus so that the whole world, the whole world can know him. God was so patient with them and allowed them all that time to figure it out. Allowed them time to hear the word. And in that 40 years, you know, thanks to uh, the help of, of Barnabas and Paul and, and John Mark and, and, and Peter and the, all the other disciples, this word had gone forth. And people knew about Jesus. They shall not teach everyone his fellow and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me. All will know me and truly know who God is. Not through the law of Moses, but through what God did for us on the cross. That's the true knowledge of God, is to know and understand what Jesus did for you on that cross. What he chose to do because of his love for you, that touches the heart, touches the mind, and that is he has written upon us. We're going to search him and find him and grab hold of him. Just follow him in every way. He is the living truth. and We hold fast to him. And the beautiful thing then is we learn him, learn about him and know him, and we understand that sacrifice. Verse 12 just rings true to us and it tells us this is the latest greatest thing and there is nothing else on this earth that will ever compare to the knowledge of what we find in this verse and that is that through jesus christ verse 12 for i will be merciful to their iniquities and i will remember their sins no more we've all failed we've all sinned fallen short as romans reminds us But he says in Jesus, your sins are in the past. They're forgiven. They're not remembered. I'm not going to recall them to you. They're gone. I don't remember those things. That happens when we join this new covenant in Jesus Christ. When we give our lives to him and acknowledge confessing the name of Jesus and we go into a watery grave We're raised up having had those sins washed away in those waters. Not because the waters are magical or anything, but because of the work of God, what he does in a faithful heart. If only we believe. You go in those waters, all you have to do is hold your breath and trust God to do his wonderful work. And even after we're raised up to this new new life, we we shun sin. We know we fail at times, but we're reminded of another wonderful promise. The blood of Jesus, if we continue to confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Will He will forgive us of our sins. The blood of Jesus continues to cleanse us of our sins, First John. The new covenant in Jesus, the new covenant of Christ, the new covenant in his blood. It's the latest, greatest. It was... Before the temple fell, 
It was on the day of Pentecost when, he, when the name of Jesus was preached. It was when these people received this letter. And it was, uh, assuming this was before the temple was destroyed. It was the latest, Jesus was the latest greatest even after the temple was destroyed. Then they had no option. It's like he has to be the latest greatest. That first covenant was now obsolete. Served a wonderful purpose. And we've got to continue to learn about it so we can understand the new covenant. But Jesus is the one that we hold fast to. I just want to ask you, have you confessed the name of Christ? Have you made the confession? Are you holding fast to that? We can't let other things pull us away from Jesus. This is kind of the follow-up lesson what we'll, we'll be looking at next week. Is that though we don't, I don't think any of us is tempted to go back, are we? To say, oh, you know, sacrifices and a priest, man, that sounds cool. You know, none of us are like that. But we've got to realize there are other things that pull at our lives. And we've got to ask ourselves, is there, what is it? Because there are things. What is it for me that pulls me away from Jesus? He's the latest, greatest. He's the cutting edge. He's the only one that matters. And yet the world, Satan, they try and pull me away from him to something that's obsolete, worthless, and just leads to death. What is it? And I just encourage you today, realize that we have a new covenant in Christ And we need to hold fast to it. Jesus is still the cutting edge. He is God's son. And here I'm referencing back to uh, Hebrews chapter 1, the first few verses. And I'm also um, considering uh, some other verses that we've already read in in chapter 7. But listen to this. He is God's son who spoke to us and showed us God. He died for our sins and now lives at the right hand of God to always make intercession for us. Confess his name and your need for him. He's the latest, greatest, but he's the only one you need. It's the cutting edge way to be saved. And it has been for 2,000 years. Still is the cutting edge, and nothing shall replace him. Hold fast to him. Confess his name, your need for him. Be immersed into him to wash away your sins so that your sins can be remembered no more. And you can stand before God in this wonderful glory and beauty that we can't even begin to describe with words. Just trust him. Trust him with your life. Come to Jesus. If there's anybody here today that you haven't given your life to Christ yet, you need to do that, and we'll encourage you to do that. Find us sometime today or tomorrow. Call us whenever that need arises for you, but don't hesitate. Give your life to him. And for the rest of us, we are about to partake in the Lord's Supper, a reminder of what Jesus, who for 2,000 years, this simple little meal has been the cutting edge of the latest, greatest thing. And we remember what Jesus did for us. And it's just as new for us now and as important to us as it was 2,000 years ago. And it's just as important for us now as when we first believed. Remembering what Jesus did for us.
let us be faithful to him.